Hello and welcome to the Fellowship Phase, an Adventures in Middle-Earth podcast. I'm Josh and that's Callum. We're going to give you inside information on how to find your own path through Tolkien's world. The fortress of the Dwemerhorn is crudely built. Wind whistles through gap and hole, eerily distorting sounds from below. Buildings creak and sway like bones too long kept out all day. Atop the peak sits a temple ill raised by evil's stubborn will, a grim basilica to honour darkness holding many echoes of horrors past. Its obsidian walls hold no warmth. Their surface is polished like a mirror, reflecting back naught but twisted visions of evil. Hello, Colin. Hello, Josh. Well remembered, it has yes, been a while. Yes, it's been a long time. I forgot your name. You got the you got the gist. I got the gist. It has been a long time. We've been on, let's say we've been on academic sabbatical because we've both been studying very hard. Yes, that's true. My memory of this place has grown to whim. <laughs> dim, dim to whim. It's good. It's, it's a strong start. I was just looking up the root of the word dwimmer. I, I literally have no idea. Uh, it comes from Middle English Dwimmer and from the Old English Gwed Dwimmer or Dwimmer, which means illusion, delusion, slight, or magic. Hmm. Which oh. is interesting because they we're talking today about the Dwimmer horn. We are talking about the Dwimmer horn, which was probably if, if our campaign that we've had in Middle Earth has been in kind of story arcs, Dwimmer horn was probably the end of a big arc. Uh, it brought a number of plots to a close. It was also the the sort of finale of one of our characters, and the campaign took a very different direction afterwards. So it's a good kind of full stop, um, or at least semicolon on our our journey, um, and it pulls together. Well, last time we were talking about the siege at Stonyford, which was I maintain my favourite session we've ever done. Uh, I stretched across I can't remember how many hours and hours it was we played. Um, and that finished with one of the party, Malbeth, had fallen into shadow, had been kidnapped by the, the, the ringwraith who'd come to Stonyford. Uh, and some of the orc forces had been driven back, but not completely defeated. Uh, and narratively, that set us up that Malbeth had been taken to this place, the uh, the Horn, where we'd scouted before, uh, this, this fortress of evil. That was kind of our call to action to go and, go and rescue our friend. Hmm. Now, we spoke before in episode 13 about the Gladden Fields and their place within yeah. Tolkien's lore. And the Dwimmerhorn is a sort of created fortress uh, on a hill within that uh, space of the Gladden Fields that's been created for the for the game. And uh, there's, there's um, it, it takes place, it's used in one of the Wilderland Adventure um, pre-written module adventures. We won't spoil what that is happening there or what, what's in there for, for that, but we'll talk more generally about it. Describe it as a, a fortress that sits on a huge stone that rises in the water of the Gladden Fields, like the half-buried skull of some primordial titan. Wow. Which is a great line. There's only one safe path that winds up 
and around the steep sides of the rock to the fortress above, and it is guarded. It was an outpost of Dolgador, established hundreds of years ago. It's an evil place dedicated to dark powers, and it's forever tainted by its presence. It's, yeah, and, and there's a little bit more description within Wilderland Adventures uh, book where they, they, they give you some uh, rules for, you know, what sort of DC or checks would be required to get across the marshes silently to get there. Um, what sort of checks you might want to take if you're going to go up the path or if you're trying to sneak up about like how to climb up the, the rocks on the outside and what might happen if you if you fall, which I think I don't think I use. I just use sort of standard D&D rules and rules um, for those things. Um, but it is, yeah, it's quite helpful. It's got a nice little description. Um, so, yeah, I think you'd scouted out the fortress before and you knew where you were going and uh, you knew what your mission was, which was to rescue Malbeth and and rescue any other prisoners that were held there. Um, how did it feel going there again? You know, you sort of been there and attempted it and then you were going back in. I think your plans sort of changed quite a bit as well when you were going to go back the second time. Yeah, they did. And I actually think the way the, the story, I suppose this is down to you, is the, the lawmaster panned out, helped a lot. So we visited, we scouted it out. We talked about that in episode 13 about sometimes that's a great way of presenting in a, an adventure or a dungeon is letting the the players see it in advance to c- get a sense of how dangerous it might be or what might be required and then it leaves room for you know the planning and and gathering forces or thinking oh do we need some equipment so we knew that it was this incredibly dangerous place it was hard to sneak up on it was well guarded and i think our scouting mission had kind of left us feeling there's no easy way of doing this. And I think if the onus had just been on us to be like, will you go back or not? I think we would have got into that kind of analysis paralysis of like, we don't know how to do it. Is there a perfect way? Whereas because one of our party was effectively kidnapped, it was like, well, there's a stopwatch going now. And I think that drove us forward. We were like, okay. Like we have to go. We're just going to have to make the best of it. We know what the challenges are. We're on a time pressure. We'll we'll just try, and that helped kick us into to going. And I think any lore master, dungeon master, can benefit from giving your players a a time pressure mm. of some kind. Yeah, the rules for the um ring the ring wraiths in the book. You know, we might talk about those in more detail at some point in the future. Um, are we? We've not talked about that with Brendan yet, have we? No. Um, but they have rules for something called the Black Breath. And I think that's talked about in the in Tolkien's work, is this sort of ability that they have to sort of cast a spell or, or take over the will of of someone. Um, or I guess it's sort of similar to what happens to the Hobbits of the, of the Barrowites, that sort of unconscious sleep. And Malbeth was taken away by that. Um, and that, that, you know, it's quite an interesting mechanic to have, because I guess when I run the ring wraith, I don't really feel like it's, you know, a big battle. It's not, they're, they're agents of, of secrecy and malice. They're not strong yeah. fighters. They're working in the shadows to, to not their plans. And so this seemed like a very, uh, evil thing to do was <laughs> to kidnap someone who was being hunted by the shadow and, uh, use that, uh, against you. Uh, so well, it works really well. It set the adventure up nicely. Now we we knew that there were there were various reasons already that we were thinking we needed to go there because Radagast had 
told us that there had been lights there and he was concerned, which had kind of sparked our curiosity. And when we met Bygrol, one of the 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 hobbits native to the Gladden Fields, he had said that people had been captured over time. So we knew that there was, you know, potentially prisoners, and we we've been trying to figure out how we would free them. And we hadn't really seen a clear route to success. It just seemed so difficult. But then when Malbeth was kidnapped, and especially after the battle, I think the other thing at the battle was we defeated a lot of the the orcs. And we felt in character that now was kind of the time to press the advantage, that they were retreating. We'd actually won a not a complete victory because Malbeth had been kidnapped, but we'd won something of a victory defending the town. We should press that advantage and go quickly. And that gave us a lot of kind of energy to go. Uh, It felt kind of like there might not be another opportunity when it was as unguarded. Um, So a lot of energy to go. And we knew what we were going to expect, which I think raised the stakes quite a lot. We knew it was this really well defended, difficult to climb uh, garrison, with some malign evil involved. Um, and we arrived. Yeah, quite a um, interesting party makeup at that point. I think you had a slayer, scholar, scholar, treasure hunter, wanderer. Yeah. It wasn't a natural kind of uh, invade a fortress party because we were i was sort of leading things at that point as theodric he was a scholar he was basically a healer um and uh, brendan's character malbeth had been captured and oh yeah brendan took on an alternate character didn't he he took on the the bjorning slayer who was his main main character was that he was a cook it was very entertaining it was very entertaining and i actually think do we letting players sometimes switch into a an npc role briefly because for narrative reasons their character makes more sense for them to be away brendan seemed to love it i don't want to speak for him too much but he, he really got into role playing another character and because anzaval was already part of the world it felt it felt fun that he got to take part jumping into an npc so yeah we arrived and i think when we'd initially scouted it we thought we had to go up this kind of winding fortified path which we thought was just going to be this, you know, battle of attrition, fighting through difficult terrain. And I think we tried one last time. We were like, let's see if there's another route up. And we rolled to investigate. And someone discovered effectively like a secret stair up the back. Mm. And I remember someone rolled crazy high for the level we were at. Uh and you'd said at the time, actually, we were we were genuinely really lucky to find it. That it was a it was a route, but you know it wasn't the obvious one. Uh, and that I think shook the dynamic up quite a lot because it turned from being an all-out attack to actually slightly precarious sneaking up the side of this <laughs> this hill. Yeah, it's described. There's a certain person that you might run into in the adventure that um, can tell you about a secret path, and um, I don't think you ever met that person. So it made it really hard for you to find it. And uh, yeah, it's difficult. I just found a map for it. I don't remember there being a map. Um, I used a different map anyway, so. Uh, 
Yeah, so you you found a secret path which made getting in much easier. Um, you weren't getting shot at and thrown rocks on you. And so I think fighting your way in would have been really, really difficult. And I'm not even sure you would have managed it, to be honest. No, I didn't, it would have been incredibly hard to sneak in. Um, maybe like a hobbit on their own could do it, but not the group of you with the, the stealth abilities as some of you, some of you had. Um, and then, then you rate, you met your sort of one of your biggest adversaries for the for the whole campaign, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. We uh, encountered uh, something that still haunts us to this day: a ten foot gap. You you articulated very clearly that this this path kind of clung to the rock face, and there was a point we could see up ahead. There was a cave which seemed to go into the the side of the rock. And we thought, right, this is it. This is going to lead us inside. And between here and there was this this ten foot gap, and it was just, you know, straightforward. Like, here's a small challenge for you to deal with. It was not a small challenge. We did so so badly <laughs> at crossing it, and later on at trying to return. So badly, in fact, that an NBC died while we were trying to navigate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was quite a big fall. I could have been even more mean and just been like, they're, that's it. They're, they're gone. Bye. You know, uh, but yeah, it, it was, was a, it was a big fall. And I, I'd I, like, I don't know what was kind of going through your head, but I was definitely thinking like, all right, you know, this is a challenge that's so going to require a, a, a role of some kind, but you know, how badly can it go? I think we all roll badly. Yeah. You just, you, it could have easily been something that was just, you know, even remember, like, you, you know, you never even thought about again. But just the fact that, you know, it was quite hilarious how badly people were rolling. The DZ wasn't even that high. It was just bad luck. And I love those moments in role-playing games where you unexpectedly have really challenging things. I think the best analogy is the for the, for the films is when they're trying to run from the Balrog and they're trying to jump those gaps where the stairs are yes. collapsing. And, like, you know, it was a big gap and it was really hard. Uh, particularly for some members of the party. And like that was such a great... It's like, imagine if you read that in the script and you're like, and then they have to jump across a gap. <laughs> and like, be a nothing moment. The directing and the writing and those moments about like how, how that went down made that really interesting. And I actually quite enjoyed your, your efforts to get across a the gap. There was quite a lot of discussion about like, you know, engineering approaches and the time pressure really forced things forward. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. I also think it's a great example of just of the success of role-playing games, which is we could have told, and there are there are uh, systems that you can do stories that don't involve dice, and you, you effectively tell a shared story together. I don't think that instant would ever have happened. I don't think we would have ever. That was just a kind of a, a, a random roll of the dice, but it then became relevant to the plot because it was difficult to get over, which was exciting. More importantly, we knew as we were trying to escape that it was a challenge. And when we came out, as we'll talk about in a bit, we had other people with us and we knew that it was actually, we'd effectively created an extra challenge at the end of the game just <laughs> yeah. because we couldn't cross this gap. We because were like, I think oh. if you'd been like at the beginning going in and like all passed and it'd been really easy, I I'm quite happy sometimes to wave like roll it, you know, I'm not going to mechanics out every single aspect of the game. Yeah. So if you, you, you come across something like getting over an obstacle and the game asks you for a role and you all pass it and it's really easy. If you're going back that way later on, I'll be like, well, you did it before, so why wouldn't you be able to do it now? So you can just all do it without rolling a dice. But because it was so difficult before, it was like, well, it was still difficult, you know. 
so yeah, I think that led into a entrance into a part of the fortress in which there was like several guards and there was a load of prisoners in different cells yeah. and so on. Um, and I think you managed to like sneak up on some of the orcs, take them out and then free the prisoners, but not before the alarm was raised. Yeah, we were not successful in... And some I don't of the orcs escaped to, to warn the others, I think. I don't think we ever realistically could have done the whole thing without alerting anyone. And we did manage to free some of the prisoners before alerting them. Yeah. Um, and because we'd kind of snuck in the side entrance, we were much further along the path, I got the sense, than if we'd, you know, we'd, we'd bypassed a chunk, as yeah. it were, by, by coming the path. Then it did turn into combat. Yeah. And the combat, I found the combat quite interesting to run because essentially you were, so I knew everything was on the map and, you know, you were, you, we had a map for the bit where you were rescuing the prisoners and then you came up out to the top and it was, you know, the yeah. switchback road and lots of different buildings and tents and I knew where all the orcs would be and how many there would be. And what was interesting for me was that the like way in which I ran the encounter was different from before because if you'd just gone in there straight ahead and he'd raised the alarm, there would have just been loads and loads and loads and loads of orcs coming. And I think you would have probably got overwhelmed and had to run away. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a very different encounter to what you got, which was the orcs knew that they were being weakened because so many of them had, you know, died when they'd attacked Sunnyford. So then you were all sort of waiting, expecting for them to run in and attack you. But instead, they basically took up fortified positions and waited for you to come to them. Yeah. And which was, I think, quite smart in an orcish sort of way. Yep. It made yeah. sense. Uh, I think it goes back to something we've talked about before about terrain and maps. And the, I mean, ultimately, what we did there was not that different to Stonyford. We were the same party of people, give or take, and we fought a large number of orcs. It, on the on paper, that's not that different. But once you introduce a slightly different objective, so at Stonyford it was defend. We were the defenders of something we cared about. And at the Dwimmerhorn, it was, well, actually... Our objective isn't to kill all these orcs. It's to get to the top of this hill to rescue our friend. Mm. The combat became, we, we couldn't just stand still. They had chosen to take, they were fortified. We couldn't stand still. And actually it didn't really lend itself to our party's <laughs> balance very well because we had quite a few um, ranged attackers and we only really had one melee fighter in, in Karhu. But it forced us to, be, to move forward the whole time. Uh, and that was fun. And I think it, it shows that, giving a time pressure and a, and mixing up the objectives of a battle or an encounter can keep things really fresh. Um, we did well. And we, I think we, by this point, we'd been settled as a party for a while. And I I'd played Theodric, who was not good in combat. He was an excellent healer, but basically in combat, he didn't, he wasn't particularly helpful until someone was injured. But by this point, I'd really got a sense of, using him to help or be a distraction so one thing that we'd done and i think you you ruled it really well was i was like well i i'm not good at range but what i can do is i can effectively be a decoy for one of the other players and what we did was someone held their action with a bow and was going to shoot but the orcs were in cover and i said on my turn i'm going to 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 basically run between two points of cover uh whoever it was had the bow i think it was james at all had the bow they held their action. I ran, and when the orc popped up, you let him take his held action to fire. And it felt, it felt fun. It felt like even though I wasn't good in combat, I got to contribute, and it felt very kind of action packed. I um, I've just gone off and found the the battle map 
from that uh, oh, yeah. adventure, um, which is quite fun to go back and look at how you used to run games a while ago. And uh, yeah, it was quite it was quite a big uh, battle. Yeah, like, it is. Uh, Josh is seeing the behind the scenes of uh, the DM screen of what I was doing. But um, oh yeah, this is yeah this is ringing a lot of bells. Little notes and so on. And I think because I wasn't expecting you to come for the secret area. I um, had to like draw onto the map last minute. So it was like this beautiful map. Uh, I think neutral party had drawn. Um, and uh, then it's just me with like a, like a square box on it. But anyway, it's effective. And it was all, oh, there was a room with loads of um, uh, like treasure and stuff because but we talked about the Gladden Fields. Like this is an area where there's like lots of history. There's been a battle where Sildur died. So there's a lot of relics potentially lying around. So I think yeah. one of the things that was a bit of a distraction was like, you had this objective to find Malbeth whilst being attacked, whilst also some characters <laughs> you had like um, the lure of, was it lure for secrets or lure of treasure? And all this stuff was had dangled in front of them, like, oh, we'll look at all this sort of secret treasure stuff. Um, yeah, and you had to try and fight your way up the, the hill, which was actually really challenging. It was really challenging, and it was a good, it was good use of terrain because it was effectively there was there was the height we started on the battle map low down, and we had to zigzag up to a higher point, which created all of these extra obstacles. It was like, do we do we go up the the kind of the path which is longer and more defended, or do we try and climb up the steeper slopes, which we were nervous of because we'd had this problem climbing up already. Um, it was good. It felt constantly like you were throwing choices at us, and the choices, you know, mattered. And we were because of the time pressure, we were making them and moving forward. So um, we were quite depleted. Um, and actually, <laughs> Bert's character, um, Eisenbard Hobbit, uh, he had an unexpected moment of madness. He'd mm. been accumulating shadow points um, through some of his misdeeds, and uh, something tipped him over the edge. It was he found a. As a treasure hunter, he was stealthy. And he'd found like a pit and he'd snuck ahead and was going to hide in the pit uh, and kind of get the lay of the land. But you discussed what was in the pit. And it was basically like what, skeletons and bodies. Yeah, and it was sort of like a waste pit for carcasses and, you know, orc waste and pretty much the grimmest things you can yeah. you can imagine i didn't hold back describing it as such i think it was I, pretty I was horrifying that he <laughs> tried to hide there he he hid there and i think he, that he needed to roll a corruption saving throw because it was so foul and he failed and took a point of shadow and that was i can't remember exactly how it happened it was enough to cause him to have a moment of madness yeah um, he became miserable, and then you can miserable. trigger a, a moment of madness yeah. if you roll one. And I think he he then immediately rolled a natural one. And it, what effectively happened was his moment of madness was he was stuck in this pit, and he was miserable, and it was it was horrible, and we just didn't know where he was. Yeah, we, he was just basically out of the battle. He couldn't participate. We did. We'd lost him. We didn't know if he was alive or dead. He was who was one of our best damage dealers. Was just out of out of it i think his madness was that he thought there was some treasure hidden there yeah so he was like searching through all this horrible stuff because i remember when he he kind of snapped out of it he climbed out the hole at which point we'd kind of won the battle on the on the outside of the dwimmerhorn like we'd kind of slayed the orcs and we were ready to go into the the kind of main building he just emerged at this pit covered in like gore and 
viscera and blood and you described him as this like horrid creature emerging from this pit it was so grim it felt very fitting for such an evil place yeah it was it was a lot of fun to describe um yeah the terrain so the orcs were definitely i think on the back foot by that point and uh it was satisfying to still make it a, a difficult fight but my main objective was to wear you down before you went into the temple at the yeah. top <laughs> evil laugh evil smile wicked, wicked evil smile grin. on his face yeah well but excellent the thing is it's excellent law mastering because and i know the instinct you often want to get the players to the, like the big set piece you know the enemy the, the big bad or the big challenging moment but if you let them get there first and fresh and they've got all their abilities it's not challenging Whereas yeah and then it becomes unique. underwhelming yes Whereas, well what did you what do you remember finding inside inside the temple I uh, I remember there being uh, two bridges. I can really vividly remember the map. There was like a, a, a either a pit or a trench with two bridges over, and then on the other side was a spirit. If I recall, the the ring wraith was on the other side, and uh, we kind of worked our way through this temple to a point where there was this this deep trench, and we we could see Malbeth was on the other side. And we needed to go over these bridges. Um, and there were yeah. all manner of like traps and difficult terrain. Yeah, it was sort of, it was the first time that I'd played around with dynamic lighting on Rule 20 and uh, learned that day that it, it didn't run very well on some people's computers. So I didn't really play around with it there again. But I put a lot of work into thinking like eerie lighting, you know, a dark and sinister place. You know, what does, what do we see in all the rings? Like, or what does Tolkien describe? And it's like etherealness, it's, you know, uncertainty, it's, it's dimness and shadow, you know, it's not well lit, it's not clear. And I was trying to create a lot of uncertainty, even with like the entrance in, and like there was a lot of doorways and it, yep. I wanted it to make it feel like there was, it was just something unknowable about this place. So it wasn't like really well defended, it was more just sinister. And then when you came in, you were confronted with this sort of, shadowy spirit who um spoke at length to you and i think tried to i don't really remember how that went that basically basically quite quickly resort um came out that most of your weapons were were useless yeah and you didn't really have a way to fight no we were really struggling it felt like the battle was in these two stages we had the first one which was fighting the orcs outside which was it felt sort of familiar you know they'd been a, a common enemy to us and this felt like a big climactic finish to that we've been fighting them a lot and we triumphed and then we moved almost into the second stage of this battle which was it wasn't about swords and shields it was about you know our um, our willpower and the spirit and it wasn't about a physical fight it was about resisting and the power of the shadow and i liked that I, li I liked that kind of sudden shift from like we'd been racing forward to bang on the door to get malbeth out and then when you let us inside it was like a completely unholy terror to deal with instead yeah. i'm pretty sure some immediately conscious yeah. someone managed to get to malbeth and sort of um revive him and he was able to use one of his abilities like he i don't know how we ran it did brendan run him and anzavold i can't remember um but it did feel like it was very dangerous and that there was a risk that some of the characters would die. And then there was a sort of deus ex machina moment uh, where this um, 
this sort of figure turned up unknown to you all and managed to, I guess, speak some words or, or, or do something to, to repel the spirit that was there? Yeah, it was, I think it showed us how out our depth we were against this spirit. And then this figure who is obviously incredibly powerful came in to, to save us, really. Um, and it kind of put us, our small place in the world into context. Um, and I think, think when things like this happen, they, yeah, they can be deus ex machina, which is you know, sometimes seen as a very bad thing. I also think in role-playing games, it can be a good opportunity to let players see really powerful stuff as kind of witnesses without risking their characters. I think, I think that can be quite fun. It's kind of like in a Godzilla film watching Kaiju fight. Like, yeah, the main character can't fight Godzilla. Obviously that would be ridiculous, but they do get to do something and then watch the bigger battle. And it felt like, you know, we defeated the orcs and got in to save Malbeth. And as we did that, two hugely powerful magical figures were fighting one another. So it didn't it didn't feel like it took away the player agency at all. Yeah, and I don't think I I dwelt on it in terms of mechanics or so on. And to be honest, like dealing with that situation, um, I hadn't really like completely ironed out like abilities and so on because I was like, well, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Like, so, so you know, we, we mentioned earlier on in the Gladden Fields episode, like who would be around the Gladden Fields researching it, thinking that the ring might be there? Saruman, Saruman would. Yeah. So uh, it was Saruman who, who turned up and after he'd sort of frightened off the spirit, it was quite interesting interaction where I think really highlighted, as we spoke about before, the player versus character knowledge. Yeah. Because you were all like, oh, it's Saruman. <laughs> it's evil. But uh, in this moment, it was like, this is an incredibly pure and good person who is so powerful and so different. And I definitely role-played Saruman as being potentially a bit disinterested and even potentially a bit self-serving in his questioning of you and you know, not not that caring about your your well being, and then but then I was like, right, okay, this is how I'm. This is this is how this has happened. But this is how you feel about it, which is completely different to that. I really enjoyed it. It was cool. It was like when we briefly saw Gandalf much earlier on in the campaign, interacting with these huge figures from Tolkien lore is fun, and I think letting that happen is one of the rewards for playing a role playing game in a you know, an existing, yeah, yeah. existing world, an existing setting is getting getting those moments. And actually, you know, how realistic is it for a low-level party to meet Saruman? Well, us going to, you know, knock on the doors of Orthanc would have been ridiculous. But actually encountering him in a moment like this did feel like a legitimate thing that could could have happened. And I also felt like Saruman's not dumb. Like, he knows what's going on and yeah. potentially even had a hand in, in, like, who was it that told Radagast to, to get someone to go investigate there? You know, I don't think we ever spoke about that in the game, but that was definitely something that was going through my head when I read the adventure hook. It was like, well, why why is Radicast doing this? Did Saruman put him up to that job? Is, yeah. is Saruman been there all the time, uh, but didn't really want to just go in and openly show his power? And, you know, he's not really... The, the Starry aren't people that just walk in and, you know, cut down a load of orcs. Unless yeah. they really... You know, it's not... That's not really his style. So, you know, getting and manipulating the situation to result in someone else taking care of this power and then turning up at the last moment, seemingly very convenient timing. Whereas it's like, 
you know, how long has it been wait- You know, how long has it been there waiting for that to happen? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I think it really worked, um, and it it meant that sense of we we kind of snatched victories from the jaws of defeat, but it was still earned because we'd done a great deal. We'd conquered the gap, and we'd fought all the orcs, and we'd freed a lot of prisoners, and you know, we'd endured the siege of Stonyford, and actually, then at the end. Saruman being there to just tip things in our favor and kind of really draw to the close that that whole plot line because after that there was there was some wrap-up um in character about what that all meant for the Vale of Anduin and for Stonyford and for Theodric because that was his last adventure he, he actually retired as a character then um but yeah it felt like a really fitting cinematic end that's where you got your name as a party which was the Hornbreakers Indeed, the Hornbreakers, which then actually came up more more than once. Um, the breaking of breaking of horns and conquering of hills. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> a cool, cool name. The I really I, enjoy, I you know going back to Saruman, I I did enjoy bringing him in. I found it a bit daunting. Um, of the three wizards, I think potentially <laughs> the hardest to play. Um, well, maybe the other blue wizards. Maybe the maybe they're going to come up in the campaign at some point. Who knows? The who does know? Who knows? But yeah, I found that I found that quite interesting to try and get into his psyche of, you know, being so driven and and single minded in his approach, whilst also trying to have this sort of air of of doing good and and being the yeah. you know, sort of helpful person to the free peoples, but really not not that at all. And I think you'd you'd rummage quickly through the artifacts and weapons that you'd found. Yeah. And um, I dropped in a bit of lore that's that's covered in the appendices of the Lord of the Rings, which I think some members of the group got and the people didn't. But basically, there was this. Maybe I mentioned it to you in the game actually later on, but uh, you'd found a whole lot of weapons, but you hadn't had time to identify them. Some of them were incredibly powerful, and the characters still have them to this this time. Because I felt like, well, there's going to be Luminorian, potentially Elven weapons yeah. lying around you know, that they've been searching really hard for the ring. That's what they've been doing. Yeah. And so you've got this group of people searching these sort of battlefields. Like there's going to be some really amazing things. And in the appendices of the rings, it's mentioned that when they search Orphank after the War of the Ring and mm-hmm. Saruman's left, they find many artifacts of old Numenor. I think they find the old crown that Isildur would have worn. Ah. And they also find his short sword. And so I'd deliberately kind of given you that in the treasure. <laughs> but then when Saruman saw it, uh, he, took he took some it. of the treasure off. He examined yeah. all the treasure. And I think I, 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 it was one of those things where you give the player something and then take it off them immediately. I kind of wanted to create a little bit of tension there. Yeah. And also drop what? him in as a future character who's like, I think he did speak to Torvald and was like, you know, come and visit me. You know, he recognized someone that was interested in shadow and, you know, laying that op- open as a potential long way down the line, you know, if Torvald survives a long time and has delved really deeply into shadow lore. Like who who in Lord of the Rings, who in Middle Earth knows the most about shadow? It's, yeah. it's Saruman. So that Saruman. seems like a natural path. So I've sort of dangled that open as a, as a invitation. Um, but yeah, that was, that was quite fun to sort of be like, here's a really high level character who, look at your artifacts and I don't, I don't know if that happens often in in rpgs i'm trying to think in critical role when they get the happy fun ball in, in campaign two 
It can be fun to let, and actually, it's quite common in games and video games as well. Is you temporarily let players have something really powerful to have fun, and then it gets taken away for a narrative reason. Yeah. And it's like it can be fun to let let you have a glimpse of that power and ability without being ridiculously overpowered. Yeah, some of the stuff I gave. So there was a there was a great sword that Malbeth took. Which was just like unbelievable. Absolutely good. amazing. Glowarin. Yeah. I think it had like some sort of yeah, it was Glowarin, which I think I looked up names for all the things uh in some translators online. It was a Numenorian great sword with a boon to damage. So it was like grievous or something. There's in the Lore Master's Guide there's loads of stuff about making artifacts. Um it was very, very powerful. Did a lot of damage. And it was also an elven an elven sword that glowed red when um, yep. um spiders spiders near it's called Storkal, which i think yeah. mean like spider bane or something in elvish yeah. i have a little book of elvish that i i don't i don't really understand the language but whenever <laughs> i've tried to come up names for stuff oh, in elvish cool. i've used that. that yeah i've got it i'm sure that's, that's, that's cool i like that yeah now Torakel became my character had it actually and then the next big adventure we went was through murkwood and we did fight a lot of spiders which yeah, it was pretty, pretty useful, actually. So it's it got the book's called The Lamages of Tolkien's Middle-Earth by Ruth S. Knoll, uh, author of the mythology of Middle-Earth. And what I like about it is it's kind of got a dictionary, so I can just look up a word and do that. And then it's got some sort of grammatical stuff in there. I don't really want to be able to speak Elvish because I don't, I don't care enough, but it's nice to sort of try a little bit and construct some stuff. So I've always had a bit of fun playing around and making names and, and, and words that, that sound plausible i think if anybody heard them that actually spoke elvish then they would be like that's awful but that's that's fine so that was, it's good yeah. for us it works for us um i had a couple of very quick fire questions about dwimhorn i've been wanting to ask you okay if i may now's the time i finally now that we've covered it all the dwimhorn was there for a long time obviously uh it was it's in the wilderland adventure guide you know it is a setting we saw it many sessions before we um, actually attacked it, it had been mentioned by Radagast. Did you get the sense that the campaign was always going to go there? Mm. Yes, because when I read it in the books, I was like, I like this location. <laughs> as soon as we were going to play in the Anduin Vale, the place that really jumped out to me was the Gladden Fields, because I just, yeah. I'd thought about it a lot. I was like, that's a really great location to go to. That and the, the City of the Aethed. And also, I guess, um, Dolgadur and um, <laughs> all the evil places, I guess. Mount Gundabad. <laughs> you know, those the places that we know exist. Because there's a lot more content in the books, but I kind of feel like I want to visit the places that, that are explored more. Yeah. Okay. And did you think that the way it... There's never a way of predicting this, but did the way it all panned out, when you were prepping, did you envisage that? Not at all. No. I thought it'd be more like you went and explored it and then you went back to Radagast and then that would be the end of the adventure. And then maybe many sessions later you'd come back to it. Interesting. Yeah, I thought you were I thought the mission would be like go into the Gladden Fields, you would um just sort of scout it out and then get the information which you got, which was it was loads of orcs there, and then you go back to Radagast and he'd say something like, Well, we'll get the you know, I'll told the eagles to keep watching it and you know, if anything changes, then I'll come and ask for your help. And then I was thinking he'd go off and do some other adventures and then come back later a much higher level hmm. and be like, Okay, let's 
you know, either go and do something about this, like let's tackle it now, we're ready. And that's not what happened at all. And it sort of fast forwarded that plot, Um, which is interesting because I think the way that Adventures Middle Earth is designed to be run is you have these modules that you do an adventure and you stop and you do a fellowship phase. And and our campaign has been much more dynamic and freeform. So uh, it's much more player led rather than the pre-written modules, which are like, this is the adventure and this is how it goes. And this is the sort of outcome that will happen. Yeah. Which is probably much easier to run. So I can see why people write it like that. I, I find it interesting. And I, I have this in the game of Curse of Strad that I DM for you guys. I think it's very true that often the players pick the bits of the story that then become the story. Mm. There are elements in Strad that you focus on. For instance, there's a, a subplot about, about werewolves, which many of your characters have got a, a connection to for one reason or another. You became very focused on that, and it became a huge part of the story. Another group might not engage with that at all, and it might not be part of their story whatsoever. But because you focused on it, I think because we became invested in the Dwimmerhorn, it became the story. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm true. glad that you let you kind of let us make it. I really goal. enjoyed running it. Um, and then I guess the, the end bit of that story arc was that you escaped, you you rescued some prisoners. So there was a man of Gondor. <laughs> who um i loved plopping in there because josh and i josh and i knew that his character theodric was going to retire that was your plan from the beginning was you yeah. were gonna choose an older character who could sort of introduce the others to rpgs and then leave and you were you were really interested in playing a, a man of gondor so i was like well how about and i think i told you this in advance you yeah. knew that he was a prisoner there but nobody uh-huh. else knew that was your character so you were quite anxious when they were trying to get the prisoners out and some people were unconscious and people were getting injured. Like well, one of the other NPCs did die getting out. I was like, if if he dies, like I, it, that, I'm going to have to create a new character. He's in the party didn't even know that he's my new character yet and he's yeah. already at risk. I love doing that introduction. That, that way of doing bringing a character in was really fun, actually, that the others didn't know where he was coming from. Uh, and you you managed to get everyone back to Stony Ford and Thedric was healing people up and there was a sort of rest afterwards. And then in the middle of the night, one night, people were war- woken by like fire outside <laughs> yes. the hall. And then the door had been locked. Everyone was sleeping in the great hall and someone had set fire to Stony Ford. And that was another bit in the rules about the ring race is that they can, that when they have this effect on people if they spend time with them they can basically instill a command uh deep in their brain that can be activated sometime later for like take control of them candidate. yeah, yeah. yeah. so Malbeth had been coerced and forced into trying to burn down the village of and brendan loves playing the villain so he uh he really enjoyed he and he did like he told me he had this plan. I was like, "This is this is what you meant to do. How are you going to approach it?" And then we discussed through what his plan was going to be and when he was going to do it. So I had all this information. I made a great made it for a great little adventure because you were all freaking out. You were like, "What yeah. the hell is going on?" Yeah, it was it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. It was like a. It was kind of like at the end of. Um, this isn't a spoiler because Carrie's decades old. At the end of Carrie, when the plot feels like it's all finished and it's fine, and then the like skeleton zombie rises from the earth, we were like, "Oh, we're just doing some RP wrap up at the end. It's totally chill." And then you were like, "Yeah, the hall is on fire." And we're like, "What? We spent <laughs> sessions defending this." I love doing that. Yeah, 
I think um, you took care of him quite quickly, uh, which is the the thing with uh, one person versus six. Yeah. Um, but or, or was it six or five? Um, but it was a really nice little wrap up thing. Although I I feel like Malbeth never really got completely forgiven for that. Um, I don't think he did. <laughs> unfortunately, even though he had a really bad bad time. So yeah, Dremerhorn. I think I think that's all I've got to say about it. I really really uh, interesting creation uh, that fits well into the garden fields and ties into the sort of darkness and and an evil area around about Dolgodur. yeah it was a good end of a chapter it felt like a an adventure had come to a close some characters new characters came in some characters were leaving and i think it's a good point to, to wrap things up here next time pick up with the creation of a new character midway through a campaign yes Great. Well, thanks very much. Catch you next time. No emails except on party business. And comments, suggestions and questions to thefellowshipphase at gmail.com. The long year turns to its close. Much we have accomplished these last seasons. Our fellowship disbands, but is not broken, and we will return. On the next episode of The Fellowship Phase.